Well, it's great to see everybody today on this uh, Veterans Day weekend. I want to encourage you, if you know a veteran, we have some in our congregation, to uh, thank them for their service uh, to our country because what they have done is a, is a sacrifice for all of us. Now, Memorial Day is when we remember those who have died because of their service to our country. Veterans Day is when we recognize those who have served and are serving in our military uh, currently. So we thank the men and women of our congregation that have, have done that. Uh, also, and I feel like my mic needs to be turned up just a little bit, just a little bit, Grant. Um, today I wanted to let the church know about, before we get into our message from 2 Thessalonians, that tomorrow at 2 p.m., at Thatch and Man uh, Cemetery in Athens, there will be a, a graveside service for Melody Grace Watts. Is that right, Austin? Melody Grace Watts. And um, so if you would like to join us there at that time at 2 o'clock, then uh, I know the Watts family will be honored to have you uh, there with them. I invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 12, and then I'm going to work through a message that I have entitled, Concerning the Coming and the Gathering. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, this is how the word of the Lord reads. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now... You know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed from the Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Verse 11, For this reason... God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth 
but had pleasure in unrighteousness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, I give you thanks for the time we've had to worship you so far this morning. Everyone who's here, and I thank you for them. And Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that's before us. I ask you, Lord, to give me grace that I might serve your people well this morning in seeking to preach this passage and teach this passage to them. Lord, bless us, I pray, through Jesus Christ, your Son, who came and died for us, who was buried, who rose again because of our justification, and who lives forever. And God, the one in whom we can have confidence, the one for whom we have hope. And Lord, I pray you bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the title of this message is Concerning the Coming and the Gathering. And I'm going to work through this passage today, and I know that there are various end-time views that uh, people bring into this passage. It's not my goal at all to try to deal with what the different uh, end-time views are, the different views about the coming of Christ, and then how to interpret this in light of those views. What I want to do, what my primary objective is this morning, is to just teach through this passage of Scripture from where it is and what it said. Second Thessalonians is um, probably, well, it is in the top three uh, of the first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians are his earliest letters. So as we read this, we are reading this as some of the original writings of Paul, the first writings of Paul to a young church, the church in Thessalonica. And yet he wrote them these hard-hitting truths that we find not only in chapter 2, but in chapter 1. As he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing vengeance upon those who do not know God and upon those who have not obeyed the gospel of God. So he has, he, he's, he's not backing off just because they're a young church. He is dealing with some of the questions that they have, and it's likely that he's dealing with another question here. Because you see in verse 2, I mean verse 1 of chapter 2, now brethren, concerning. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians, we saw him use that concerning three times. And that was dealing with questions that they apparently had. And now he writes to them concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Here's what he says. First thing he says, we ask you. So let's let's see, first of all, be alert. We're going to see in verses 2 and 3 really something that he gives them to be alert about. And the, the first part of this is that trouble comes in various forms. In verse 2, he says to them not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, And now I'll jump to the end of the verse, as though the day of Christ had come. The reason I say that this is uh, trouble comes in various forms is because in chapter 1, the trouble that the church faced was from persecutors and those who were bringing about tribulation in their life from physical persecution. This, however, seems to be internal. It's not physical, it's internal. Because this is something that would have to do with their mind. He says to them in verse 2, verse two not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. So it is an internal troubling that might occur. 
And now we'll find out where that comes from. The second sub-point here is deception comes by any means. Deception comes by any means. You notice there in verse 3, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means. So this troubling or this internal turmoil, this shakenness that they um, are in danger of succumbing to, could come to them in by any means. Now, he gave us three of those means in verse 2. As you look back up there, not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter. Now, I'm going to summarize these real quick because we're working through the whole passage. But spirit here probably has to do with prophecy or with false teachers. You can write down 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, if you want to look at that, and 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. I'm not turning to it, but it's likely the Spirit has to do with a, a prophet or teacher who's coming and prophesying in the name of or by the Spirit of something. Now we see the second part, which is a word, which is pretty simple. There may be a report that would be brought. It may even be someone coming to them bringing a report from the Apostle Paul saying that this is how you should interpret this or this is what this means. And then the last part is by letter that they um, would be deceived by a, a, a writing. And you notice it says after that, as if from us. The idea there is the spirit, the, the word, the letter had somehow come from the Apostle Paul, and now the Thessalonians were to listen to that, and then they would end up being troubled by it or shaken by it in their face so they no longer hold fast to the truth that has been taught to them. So Paul says um, deception comes by uh, any means. Now today, he might have used, he might have said like newspaper. Why does anybody know what a newspaper is anymore? Newspaper, email, podcast, Facebook post, a book, a YouTuber, an influencer on TikTok. He might have, he might have named some of those things, but really all of those just fall under these same categories. And deception, I'll tell you this morning, church, can come from all of these different means. And I want to tell you something. When you're listening to something, whatever it might be, or you're reading something, whatever it might be, look for the Word of God in it. Are they citing Scripture? Are they looking to the Word as their foundation for whatever it is that they are teaching? And then, I'll just give you a warning. Is there a book behind it to sell? Because if there's a book behind it to sell, they have an agenda. They want to make some money. So just be aware of those things. We can be deceived. And the church could be deceived in that day. And Paul is warning them against that. Deception comes in any means. But let's be aware. Not be aware as in be, be scared, but be aware as in be in the know. They want, he wanted them to be alert, but he also wanted them to be aware. He wanted them to be aware about this day of Christ or on the day of Christ. And notice that this is what's going to happen. There's two things that he lays out here that's going to happen on the day of Christ. Now, specifically on that day. I'm not saying there's not more that's going to happen, but he lays out two things in verse 1. Two things are going to happen on that day. There's going to be the coming of the Lord. 
the coming of the Lord. And that's that word parousia that we saw often in 1 Thessalonians. It's mentioned in almost every chapter, the coming of the Lord. And he says that on that day, there will be the coming of the Lord, but also on that day, there will be our gathering together to him. Okay, you see that in verse 1. You might want to write down Matthew chapter 24, and I think it's verse 24 as a reference concerning the, uh, our gathering together to him. Because the scripture says, actually it's, um, well I've lost, it's in chapter 24, but Jesus talks about the angels coming, Matthew 24, and gathering together his elect from the four winds of the earth, Matthew 24, that's the wrong verse, verse 24. But the gathering together of his people is going to happen. As you think about this and you think about what we've already studied in 1 Thessalonians, can you think of a time or anywhere in 1 Thessalonians where this, there's this teaching of the resurrection of the sleeping and the rapture of the remaining? Does anybody remember what chapter that was in? Chapter 4, right? The resurrection of the sleeping, the rapture of the remaining is the way that I presented that to you. And they meet the Lord in the air. We meet the Lord in the air. Perhaps that is what he is referring to in this verse. Again, there may be different interpretations concerning that. But two things that are definitely going to happen. But let's notice this, that before the day of the Lord, there's also two things that he lays out here that's going to occur. And by the way, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of other verses that could be brought into this sermon that I'm not trying to bring into it this morning. What I'm trying to do is walk us through this text to try to give some meaning and understanding to this passage. And then as we get that and we continue to study the Bible in other places and read the Bible, then we at least have a basic foundation in this verse or these passages what, what this is saying. All right, so before the day of the Lord, two things are going to happen. The first one is this. There's going to be the falling away or the apostasy. This you might even have in your Bibles the great apostasy as a title above verse 1. But there's going to be the falling away and there's also going to be the revealing of the Son of Man. Two things are going to happen before the day of the Lord or the coming of our Lord in verse 1. So, in verse 3, that's where we are right now. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. And all that's implied in the text because it's italicized. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The falling away apparently is the falling away because they were, there are going to be those who are proclaiming faith in God and in Christ. But at this time, many of those who proclaim that, profess that, confess that, are going to fall away from it. They're going to stop holding to the faith that they once proclaimed and they are going to draw back from that. 
Hebrews chapter 10 says that we are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. But on, at that time, there will be a, an apostasy, a falling away that's going to occur. The second thing that we see in this, that man of sin is going to be revealed. The man of sin is not called the Antichrist in this passage, but that is, seems to be likely who Paul is talking about here, the, the Antichrist who is going to come. But he's referred to here as the man of sin. We see three things about him. We see, first of all, that he is damnable because he is the son of perdition. He is one who shares the title with Judas Iscariot. He is the son of perdition. He will face eternal damnation under God's wrath. But he is also, he's a wannabe that seems to be. As you see in verse 2, I mean verse 4, it says, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. So he exalts and opposes God the Father. He exalts himself over and opposes God the Holy Spirit. He opposes and he exalts himself over the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And he, 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 he is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God Showing himself that he is God. He is a wannabe that, brethren, seems to be. Because there's going to be many people on this earth who are going to be deceived by him and are going to believe that he is the one that they desire. But it's a scam. He's deceiving them. He's damnable. He's a wannabe that seems to be And at this time, and at the time when Paul wrote this, he is restrained. Verse 5, Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul was, all that we know of is that Paul was with them for three Sabbaths, according to Acts chapter 17. But yet, during that time, he was telling them, about these things. And then in verse 6, it says, And now you know what is restraining. Aren't restraining what? The rest of verse 6, that he may be revealed in his own time. So this man of sin who is going to come is restrained currently that he may be revealed in his time. When God is ready for him to be revealed. Now, that's to be be aware before the day of Christ. Now, currently until the day of Christ. What's going on right now? This is interesting stuff. Uh, What's going on right now? And I say until the day of Christ. um, I mean that really until these events begin to unfold. Until the man of lawlessness is revealed until the falling away happens. That's really what I mean by this currently until the day of Christ. We pick up in verse 7. We're going to see three, two things here as well. We see that in verse 7, we'll read it, the, the, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. All right, so let's see the first one here. There's the working of lawlessness that's already taking place. 
There's the working of lawlessness. The rest of verse 7. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The second part that we see in verse 7. The second thing that we see occurring right now is the restraining of lawlessness. So on the one hand, we have lawlessness already at work. Uh, On the other hand, we have the restraining of lawlessness occurring. They are happening simultaneously. Now, as we look at this a little bit, and you may wonder about this whole working of lawlessness and what uh, what what does that mean? And what I would do is just point you to some of the things that we see in our society. News reports that are, you know, if you turn the news on and you hear the first first reports, a lot of them are about people being killed, about parents doing things horrible to their children, about um, civil unrest. And we may ask ourselves, what's going on here? You can think about the re- recently the Palestinian protest getting out in the streets and innocent drivers going along the road and then these protesters surround the car, start attacking the car, chasing them down the road. We're not unfamiliar with this because in 2020 we have, you know, the George Floyd protest along with many others and anarchy uh, in the streets of America. I think Seattle in particular was a place where this was occurring, it may still be happening, I don't know. We see in our society today shopping malls being ransacked, sometimes in broad daylight. The abortion industry still seeking to run rampantly in our country. There's all kinds of confusion over whether people are male or female. And we ask ourselves, where in the world does this come from? Where does all this craziness come from? It tells us right here where it comes from. It's the mystery of lawlessness that's already at work in this world. Because this mystery of lawlessness is occurring all around us. All these, law, all this, uh, these actions against the laws of God. But yet our society pushes and pushes and pushes that direction. It's the mystery of lawlessness that's already at work. Just like... John would write in 1 John chapter 4 that the the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. All right, so there's this working of lawlessness, but there's a restraining of lawlessness. Now, you notice, you notice here, and boy, we could spend a lot of time on this. You notice back in verse 6, he says, and you know what is restraining. Now, in verse 7, at the end of it, he says, Only he who now restrains will do so until he, that, that apparently means he, the one who is restraining, is taken out of the way. All right, so, what does this mean? Um, I'll go ahead and tell you, there's been much debate over what this means. What is this that's restraining? As a matter of fact, Augustine or Augustine, said about this when there were uh, unprofitable conjectures. Uh, he declared, I frankly confess that I do not know what he means when he was looking at Paul's writings. Let me give you a few a rundown of what are some of the interpretations of this are. The first one you may recognize, even in the writing, if you have a New King James Bible, but the word, the pronoun he is capitalized. 
So the translators of the New King James understood this to be talking about God or the Holy Spirit. So it may be a reference to the Holy Spirit and the church or the Holy Spirit, just the Holy Spirit in the world restraining lawlessness. It could be, as some others have said, that it means Paul and his preaching, Paul and his evangelistic efforts. Another interpretation of this could be Michael the archangel. You could write down Daniel chapter 12, I think it's verse 1, as a reference to cross-reference on that. Another uh, and the last that I will present to you as what is this, what and he, what is this, what and he that is restraining? The last one is it could be referring to the rule of law and rulers. It could be the rule of law and authorities that God has appointed. If you think about it, that could make a lot of sense. If you're going down the road and you suddenly, you're going 55 and you suddenly see that the speed limit is 45, you ought to slow down a little bit, right? That restrains you. Certainly, if you're going down the road and you're going 55 and a 45 and you see a police officer sitting at the gas station on the corner, you're going to get on that brake. Why? Because you don't want to get a ticket and the law and that person restrains you from breaking the law, from committing lawlessness, from acting like there's not a speed limit. So that certainly could be the case. Why would Paul, if that's what he meant, not just come right out and say it? Why wouldn't he just say that Rome and the mighty Roman rule and Caesar are going to be taken out of the way? (laughs) That makes perfect sense why he wouldn't come right out and say it, wouldn't it? Because he could possibly be bringing needless trouble on himself for saying that the government... And the ruler is going to be taken out of the way. Wouldn't it have been great to be in Thessalonica in the first century and be there when the Apostle Paul was there and hear him really share everything about this? Because he's he's told them about this already. He has taught them this. But he doesn't come right out and say what it is in his writings to them. So I'll give you those suggestions. Now, let's do this. Let's talk a little bit more about the lawless one. A little bit more about the lawless one in verses 8 through 10. First thing that we see here is that the Lord will consume and destroy him in verse 8. And then the lawless one, that's the man of sin, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy With the brightness of his coming. Jesus isn't going to have to fight this guy. The very presence of Christ is going to be enough to destroy him, yes. But in his efforts to deceive, it will consume him. The presence of Christ will consume him so that he can no longer participate or lead in his rebellion. Really, we see a rebellion and we see the rebel in this passage of Scripture. 
The Lord's going to consume him and the Lord's going to destroy him. But we see also that Satan will empower him. In the time that this man works, he's going to be empowered by Satan. In verse 9, I think the word coming at the beginning of it is the same word for parousia, the coming of Jesus Christ. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He's going to be empowered by Satan to do the things that he is doing. And we must be aware of that. But we see also in this passage that unbelievers are most vulnerable to him. In verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Well, we might look at that and say, yeah, they perish because, well, they weren't chosen. They're not of the elect, so they perish. It's not what Paul says here. In verse 10, he tells us why they perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's the reason they perish. They heard the truth and they knew they should love the truth, but yet they would not receive the truth that they might be saved. We say finally concerning this man that God is not subject to him. Though he will have great power by Satan and do many Things, powers, signs, and lying wonders and unrighteous deception. He is, God is not subject to him. And all these that he leads astray and that he deceives, we see that somehow or, or the other, this just fits right into God's plan. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. It means here that they are deceived They have a wrong opinion or error. So they, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. God is not a bystander in this who has no power at all about what's going on. But God is actually active in this, allowing these to be deluded in their thinking so that they... Can't even believe the truth. We see something similar to this in Romans chapter 1. Their foolish hearts were darkened. In verse 24, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. In verse 28, and even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. That's the thing about it. People think that they're getting the upper hand on God only to find out from reading God's word that no, God has the upper hand on you the whole time. You reject his truth, he rejects you. And we see in verse 12 that they all may be condemned. 
who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And folks, that's the uh, contrast. You don't believe the truth, you have pleasure in unrighteousness. You know why you don't believe the truth? You want to have pleasure in unrighteousness. They would not come to the light that their deeds may be made manifest. Now, let's look at the last points here as we some conclusions. First one is this. There are deceivers in the world. They're already here. Listen to me, church. There are deceivers in the world. We need to test all things and hold fast what is good. Also, Christians can be deceived. Now, I know what some of the passages say, Matthew 24 particularly, for the sake of the elect, and um, if possible, that even the elect would be deceived. But Paul writes here to the Thessalonians, and he says, let no one deceive you by any means. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, um, do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because Christians at some level, we can be deceived. Did I say something? Am I missing something somewhere? Did I miss a blank or something somewhere? Saw some looks on some faces. I want to make sure I wasn't letting y'all down somewhere on that. Next thing is this. God is in control of history. We hear about these things. Oh, this is going to take place. This man of sin is going to come. Oh, uh, this falling away is going to occur. Oh, oh my goodness. God told us this is going to happen. If it catches you by surprise, it's not God's fault that He didn't tell you. It's your fault for not hearing it and knowing it. It's going to happen. God said it will. And we as believers need not let the day of the Lord come like a thief in the night because we are watching and we are sober and we know what God's Word says. So it doesn't catch us by surprise. God is in control of history. Verse 10. Believe and love the truth now. you for some reason are putting off believing and loving what God has done to save us through Christ who died for us who was buried and rose again on the third day and lives eternally if you for some reason are rejecting that and not loving it stop believe today now you do not know how much longer you will have to believe that message. This is the testimony of God that God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Will you today believe in Christ who died for your sins? Will you receive Him today as your Savior? Love the truth and be saved. 
the invitation is always open to repent of your sins, to believe in Christ, and then to mark yourself as a Christian through the waters of the baptistry. Then lastly, going back to verse 1, youth is no excuse. Listen, why do I say that? I'm not talking about young people necessarily. Here's what I'm talking about. This was a young church. They were the Thessalonica. They had probably not even been Christian for, they'd probably been Christians for only a couple of years. But yet Paul's writing to them all this hard-hitting stuff. And I think about the modern day church today where we scarcely even read our Bibles sometimes. Many in the church scarcely even read their Bible. Many in the church scarcely even consider or ponder the deep things of God. But yet these Thessalonians, though they did not have it all together by any means, yet Paul wrote to them about some of these deep, deep things that are going to happen. And I ask myself, why aren't we asking these questions too? And why aren't we searching the Bible to find the answers to them? And the only thing that I can say to the American church is shame on us. Because we ought to be ashamed that we think no more of God and His Word than what we do. You see, when the Thessalonians received the Word of God, we see it in 1 Thessalonians 1, that they received it not as the Word of man, but as it is in truth the Word of God. So... You may have been a Christian for a long time and you've never asked these questions. I tell you, start studying your Bible and start asking these questions. You are without excuse and we will be without excuse for what we have done with God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks for this passage today. I know we've had to fly through it. There's a whole lot of stuff in it and I've said some tough things. But, God, I just pray that that we would be able to heed your word and see the truth that's found in it. Lord, we fail you in many ways. I give you thanks, Lord God, that our hope is not in how good we are. Our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save sinners like us. And, Father, as we... I don't, know what, I don't know what our lifetimes hold. I don't know everything. But you've told us, Lord, that these days are coming, that this is going to happen. And I pray, Father, for this church and for everyone that we can have an influence on, that we would not let ourselves or others be deceived, but that we would be ready and aware of what the Scripture tells us. Father, I pray finally for anyone here today who's not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been playing around, just flirting with the gospel. God, I pray that they would repent. I pray, God, you'd give grace that they would repent and believe the truth. Knowing Christ as their Savior, maybe even today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.